presence, anything can happen. Nothing like this presence. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 2. Uh, we will be there for the duration of the evening. Uh, it's going to read one verse at the beginning, and we'll get to that at the end. That's how it works. It seems to be. Galatians 2 and 20 we're going to read. We're going to be in... Um, Verses 15 to 21 or so. Um, I'll just read that one first. It's a familiar one. That's why we're using it as our text. Man. Galatians 2 and 20. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Well, let's, let's uh, pray again before we get into this. And, uh, let's pray that God would speak to us. I don't want anyone to take anything I say the wrong way, which is always a, a danger. But uh, let's, let's pray um, together again. Jesus, Hallelujah. God, I thank you for your spirit that's here. God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you administer to us through it. In Jesus' name, God, let there be clarity. God, in everything that's said tonight, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, I pray that your word go straight to our, our hearts and minister. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can remain seated. Um, this is going to be a... I've been preaching a lot. We're going to teach... Sunday, I think I'm going to take a break. Uh, we're going to teach a bit. Uh, on Sunday, we talked about a little bit about uh, Galatians, and you know, as we were there, I figured maybe we'll stay there a little bit on Wednesdays. Um, um, so for the next three Wednesdays, hopefully, um, we're going to spend a little time with this this passage between Galatians two and fifteen to three and fourteen. Um, talking about the faith versus the law. This is a big deal um, with the early church. And I remember Sunday, um, before we got into all the nitty-gritty stuff, at the beginning we talked about Galatians and why it was written and um, you know, why Paul wrote the letter to Galatians because there was this ongoing conflict between the Jewish um, Christians and the Gentile Christians. And you know, the Jews had their law, and things that they, they did. And they had all these rules that they followed and obeyed. And then these crazy Gentiles, Gentiles came into the church. And they didn't follow all of those rules. And how could they be saved? If we're doing all of this stuff. And they don't have to do it. And they were getting frustrated. Right? They don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They don't dress like us. They don't sing and dance like us. They're different. They're from a completely different culture. Everything that they did would have been different than what they were used to. And they're just kind of, you know, this is written to the church about 20 years or so after it started. So this is all new. And for the most part, Jewish people haven't really interacted with Gentiles Unless they had to. They weren't hanging out with them because they were filthy, rotten sinners and you're trying to stay away from them. And now they're coming into the church and everything's just, what's going on? And they're confused and they're a little upset. 
And so Paul writes this book to reconfirm some of the things that he's taught and just kind of hammer it home. And um, just the point that salvation comes from Jesus. Salvation comes from the work of the cross. It comes from the, the gospel. It doesn't come from the law. You know, you know, salvation doesn't come from following rules and regulations. It comes through the sacrifice that Jesus paid through his, through his blood, right? And we, we know this. But to this early church, they were a little upset about how this, this was going. You know, we're not saved by doing this or that. This is where I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. But we'll get through it. But. So this is what's going on in Galatia. Probably it's more widespread, but this is where he's addressing it too. And before chapter 2, there had been a, a bit of a kerfuffle between Peter and Paul. A little bit of drama between these two giants of the faith. Um, Peter, if you remember in Acts, he was the one who originally brought the gospel um, to the Gentiles. There was a man named Cornelius, right? And, and if you remember that, and, and he brought it to them. But Paul kind of, as his ministry grew, he kind of became the apostle to the Gentiles. That kind of became his area of focus. And most of his ministry became focused on them. And Peter, you know Peter, we've talked about Peter, he was stubborn. He was um, maybe a little bit hard-headed, as, as we know. And so Peter, you know, he brought the gospel to the Gentiles, but he preferred his Jewish brothers. So he kind of spent a lot of his time focusing on the Jewish Christians, and Paul focused on the Gentiles. And I know, you know, that wasn't all that they ministered to, but there, there's some overlap. But for the most part, that's how their ministries went. And um, now then something had happened. Peter was hanging out with some of the Gentile believers, which was fine, because we're all part of the church, right? And he was eating with them, and some people from, James had sent some Jewish people, and they arrive, and they see Peter eating with the Gentiles. These Jewish believers come along, and Peter got a little bit worried about what they're going to think, um, what these Jewish believers would say about him eating with these Gentile believers. And so he kind of withdrew from the, the Gentile believers and I was like, you know what, I'm not really with them you know Peter, I'm not really with Jesus you know that's as much as he liked to talk there was a lot of time Peter kind of went, oh I don't know so he was kind of like, I don't, I'm not really and he kind of withdrew from them and um, <laughs> Paul got upset about it and because Peter was Peter, a lot of the church started following him and they kind of made this you know, division between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers. And it says in Galatians 2 that even Barnabas was misled by this. Paul's traveling buddy. He was a little, you know, he jumped on the segregation wagon. We still do that today. Like, it's, you know, we get a group of people come in from maybe a different country. Well, we're going we're gonna to have their own service. People do that. I still do it. I don't know why we do it. There's not, we're supposed to be all together when we come in to the church. But this is what was happening. And so Paul gets upset about this and he confronts Peter to his face, it says. And he calls them, basically calls them all hypocrites. And Peter, or Paul wasn't wrong here. And the Jewish believers 
And they were upset because they had followed all these rules and they wanted the Gentile believers to live the same as them and follow their laws and keep their traditions. And Paul says to them, if you guys, being Jews, you're living like Gentiles, you're not even following all the rules anymore. <laughs> How can you force these Gentiles to live like Jews? You're not even doing it right. He's not even doing all this stuff, so why would you try to force them to? And we can, no, we don't like to think it, but we can be guilty of this sort of thing too. By put, putting unrealistic expectations on people because of our, maybe our traditions or our preferences. Uh, there's a lot of things in the Bible that I've heard preached across, there's a lot of things that aren't in the Bible, sorry, that I've heard preached across pulpits, the things that we should or shouldn't do based on a preference. And I'm not going to get into them because I don't want to... You may believe some of them. But there are things that I've heard my whole life. You know, don't do this. And there's nothing, there's no... nothing for that. And we can get upset with people that come in and maybe... All right, I'll use beards. <laughs> We're all clean shaven here for the most part. Or some days. Okay, I shave Wednesday and Sunday. <laughs> For you, because I don't know. Steve do. That's how it's done. <laughs> but I've heard my whole life, you need to be clean shaven. Or you're a sinner. Well, there's nothing in the Bible that says that. Right? And if you believe that, that's fine. You can, whatever. But when someone comes in, and they got a big old beard, and they don't know any better, and they've had a beard for 38 years, you're going to shave or you're going to hell. That's, that's the kind of thing. Yes, anyways. Try to force people to do things because it's our preference. And anyway, that's kind of where they're at. We okay? And there's some churches you can't preach or you can't be on a platform unless your shirt's white. I don't know. I've only got like one. Well, there's, there's all these rules that people make up. and Anyways. And that's kind of where they were at. They were expecting these Gentiles that there's no way they're going to do all these things. There's no way they're going to... You know, there's rules about fabric and what they, ate, what they ate and what they could do on certain days. And there, there's no way they're going to get all that and once they come in. Right? So that, this is kind of where they're at. And, and so Paul launches into this little bit that we're going to focus on for the next couple of weeks. Faith versus the law. And so tonight we'll go, by, go through the first bit, which is justified by faith. So Galatians 2, verse 15 to 16. In the King James, it says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now that reads very complicated to me. So I'm going to read it again in an English standard because there's a lot of Jesus Christ and laws and works and flipping around. So I'm going to read it in a different version. Hopefully this makes it a little clearer. In the English standard it says, We are, ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we 
also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I don't know if that made a little more sense. But I'll try to explain this, what he's saying. Because Paul, sometimes Paul's a little bit hard to understand. He writes very deep. He's a smart man. I'm not. He says, we were born into this. So he's talking to the Jewish people in Galatia. He says, we were born into this. We were brought up into this. And this stuff comes naturally for us. This is what we've been doing our whole lives. And, and, but even though that's the case, we know... We know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So the word justified, if you're not familiar with it, it means made righteous or delivered from sin. In a Bible college, we would say justified, never sinned. So if you never remember what it means, that justified, never sinned. So it's just, it's just, you're made right. That's what it means. The law doesn't forgive sin. The law doesn't erase sin. The law doesn't make us righteous. We can follow every rule. We can do everything. We can look and dress and talk and act a certain way and eat certain foods. And, and, and for some, it comes easier because we've been brought up in this. We can do all of that, but that will never set us free. The law will never justify us, he says. The law will never set us free from sin. The law will never make us righteous. The law will point out our sin, but the law will never forgive that sin. The law will judge, but it will never justify. And so Paul says, if we know this, we, do, we us Jewish believers, we know this. Why are we expecting the Gentiles to fall in line and start doing these things? It isn't going to make them better Christians. This isn't going to redeem them. This isn't going to save them. We aren't justified by the law. We aren't justified by following all these rules. We... We don't get our sins forgiven because, you know, we haven't done any of these things for 30 days and now we're good. You know, that's not how it works. <sighs> he says a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We can only be justified. We can only be forgiven of our sins. We can only be changed and made righteous if we put our faith in Jesus. And then he says, you guys, you yourself know this. We have done this. We have put our faith into Jesus and not in the law. But yet you're expecting them to follow these rules. So why are you expecting them to put their faith in the law and not in Jesus when you yourself have turned from the law and to put your faith in Jesus? He says, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He said, we believed in Jesus. Because that's the only way to be justified. Not through the law, not through a tradition, not through rules, through Jesus. And we can, I mean, we can develop that attitude too. I know it's a little bit different because their law actually comes from, from God. And some of our things maybe don't. Uh, this, I know it's a little bit different, but we can get that attitude. You know, we come to Jesus as a dirty, rotten sinner, right? We receive grace, forgiveness, and justification, and all these wonderful gifts. We get a spirit, we get baptized, and you know, all these wonderful things. And then after a while, we've been doing this for a bit, and we start to think maybe we're a little bit special. <laughs> we kind of get this attitude that it's because I've done something. 
that I've been doing this for so long, and I've been looking this way, and whatever, you know. Now this is why I, I've, I've been saved, because of what I've done now. And we can, we can start acting like that. And then new folks come along, and we expect them to immediately look like us, as if that is how we started it, as if that's how we were justified and we were saved. And I don't know about you, but that's not how I was. We aren't justified by anything that we do or say. The only way we are justified is by faith in Jesus. Nothing we can do is going to save us. Nothing we can do is going to make us righteous. And that is okay. Because Jesus is the one who does the work. And I, I'm okay with that. We are, it says we are justified by faith in Jesus. What does faith mean here? Is it the tingly feeling you get when the preacher preaches about miracles? Is it some mystical thing? It comes from the Greek word pistis. Which means faith, obviously, but it also means belief, trust, confidence. It's not just a feeling that comes when somebody says something. Oh, yes! Now anything can happen. That's not what it is. I know we know, we know that faith comes from God, so it's a little bit different than having faith that your, your sports team will pull off the big win or whatever. I'm going to get that comeback overtime win or something. You know, that's not the, quite the same. But the word pistis or faith in ancient times when this was written, outside of religion, it was used to mean a guarantee. And that's kind of what this means, a guarantee. So biblically, faith refers to a guarantee or a warranty, if you will, that what God said would come to pass. And in this instance, that what Jesus taught, that what Jesus did at Calvary was enough, that the law wouldn't save, but Jesus will. That's what our faith, when we put our faith into Jesus, this is what it's talking about. It's a belief that what God said is true and that what he promised will come to pass. And in this instance, it's applied to the gospel, to the cross, to salvation, all the things that Jesus said and taught. It's believing that they are, they are true. So in essence, that's what faith really is. It's not some spooky tinglies, not some mystical mumbo jumbo, but it's an assurance or a guarantee that God is true and I believe his word. That's what it means. And when we take that guarantee and that, that faith, that trust, and we place it in Jesus, in his name, his blood, his, his power, that's how we experience salvation. And as always, we show our faith by responding to the gospel. Men and brethren, in Acts 2, they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, you know, repent, be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, missionary sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's how we initially show our faith, and then we continue to show it by how we live afterwards. But what brings us into this, what justifies us, is that faith we put in Jesus, and we act to that. Does that make sense? So one of the main issues that they were dealing with at this time was <laughs> circumcision. I know. The Jewish believers thought that all the Gentiles should have it done. And the Gentiles were like, nope. It's a hard pass for me. 
But the law said it, and they're like, and this is what kind of caused the whole commotion. This was the main issue, and they're like, I'm not doing that. And, and Paul is telling them that this isn't what makes us saved. By that, thank goodness, by the law, this isn't what makes us saved. It's not something that we do to ourselves or whatever. That's not what makes us saved by doing this thing or that thing, but we are saved by Jesus and putting our faith in him. In Galatians 2 and 17, it says, in the King James again, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. And in the English Standard it says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ said a servant of sin? Certainly not. Now this verse may be a bit confusing. Like the last one. It would be a bit heavy, maybe a little bit hard to understand. Sometimes Paul's like that. As I said, he's smarter than me. I'll try to break it down. Explain it the best I can. Um, Ellicott's commentary on this verse, he paraphrases it and he says, um, We sought justification in Christ, but if, with all of our seeking, something more was needed, for example, a rigid performance of the law, that law which we had abandoned, then there was still something wanting or missing from our justification. We were sinners on par with the Gentiles, and all that Christianity seemed to have done for us was to lead us deeper into sin. A profane thought. So Paul says, if we are looking or striving to be justified in Jesus or by Jesus, if that's our goal, if that's what we're aiming for, and in the middle of that, in the midst of our justification, being made righteous, being set free from sin, while we were pursuing this through Jesus, it was found out, or the result of it was that we were actually still sinners and maybe even more so because there's a lot of things that we've been doing that we didn't know. Then is Jesus a servant of sin, he says. Of course not. So one more attempt. Hopefully this will help a little more. But Paul is saying, in my mind, how I see this is my third attempt to help this make sense. If you come to Jesus for justification, if you come to him to be set free from sin. And then after doing that, after you know you've you've repented, you've been baptized, you know, you've been filled with the Spirit, and after you've done all that, and you've come to Him, you received His salvation, and you discover and you find out that actually you have more sin than before. <laughs> you have more to do, you have more to be forgiven of. That would mean that Jesus is a servant of sin. Because you've come to him and now he's put more stuff on you. This is what they were doing, essentially, by saying, okay, all you guys, it's great that you've come to church. It's great that you've been saved. Now here's 600 other things you need to do. Literally. Or you're going to be lost. So if we come to Jesus, we get delivered, and then find out, oh, Actually, I'm worse off than I was before. <laughs> this is what they're doing. And he says, God forbid. These Gentiles had come to Jesus. They'd had their sins forgiven. They'd repented. They'd been baptized. They'd received the Holy Spirit. And, and if doing all that, they discover that, hey, actually, there's a big old book of rules. And actually, I need to be doing more than this. 
two, or I'm just a sinner, that undermines everything that Jesus did on the cross. And why are we even here? Either Jesus redeems us and justifies us and sets us free from sin, or he doesn't. And that's what it all comes down to. Either he sets us free from the weight and the burden, the consequence of sin, or he doesn't. That's what Paul's saying. The law has its purpose, but the law doesn't redeem us. The law doesn't justify us. The law was, it was given by God. It has its purpose, but it's not going to save us. Verse 18. He says, For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Does this all make some sort of sense? Hopefully. I'm not lost yet. Okay. I had to like practice preaching this to make sure it made sense. For if I build again the things which I destroyed and make myself a transgressor. So if I've been set free by faith in Jesus, his work on the cross, if I've been delivered by him, and then I go back to the thing that I've been delivered from, in this case, the law, the weight of the law, all that stuff, if I've been delivered from and I go right back to it, then I make myself a transgressor again. I'm no better. Paul uses himself as an example to kind of soften the blow. He says, if I do this, then I, you know, he's talking about them. Well, that's, a, that's a preacher trick. I was going to preach to myself. You all listen. So you don't think I'm singling you out, but I'm really talking about everybody. If I do this, if you do this, it's the same thing. They've been set free from the law. They've been delivered from the law. And for them to go back and retroactively enforce it, actually, all of you Gentile fellas, you need to have this procedure done. Sorry. Actually, you can't mix those fabrics together, honey. You're going to have to throw all those out. Actually, you cut the corners of your beard. Get out. Actually, you know, that would be kind of kind of dumb. Paul says, if I do that, I make myself a transgressor. Meaning if I say, okay, I've been delivered from the law, then I go back to the law and judge myself by it, I'm lost again. And the principle, you know, that's what he's talking about. But the principle of this applies to, and works for other things too. If we come to Jesus and we leave something behind and then go back to it, we make ourselves sinners again too. If I've been delivered from something, and then I retreat back to it. See, I did that. If I, if I retreat back to it, if I've been delivered something, I go back to it, I make myself a sinner again. When we are saved, we are called out of that. And we are to remain that. Called out. No backtracking. No going back. You know, when Israel left Egypt in the Old Testament, there were people that still wanted to go back to slavery. Because that's how people are. We like the old days. We like comfort, even if it wasn't right. Even if it was all messed up, we just see it differently. Oh, yes, I remember. Let's go back. I'm not talking about going back and having all night prayer meetings. not that kind of thing. But like we come out of the world and we're like, you know what? I remember how great it was. Let's go back. We got to break up with someone. And then they come calling again a year later. Oh, I remember all the good times. Nope, then you remember why you broke up in the first place? 
That's just how we are. We just like to go back to things for some whatever reason it is. I don't know. People, I don't know if you know this, but people hate change. None of you guys. Just Annabelle. <laughs> she loses it. I'm not going to tell you stories because that's terrible. But, but if God is moving us forward, we better not go backwards. We see this all the time. Someone comes into faith and they're all gung-ho and like, yeah, I'm going to get rid of this thing and get rid of that thing. I'm not going to watch any, uh, we'll say movies, for example. I'm not going to watch any movies. I'm, gonna, I'm only going to you know, watch and listen to things that are Bible-based because that's what's important. And woo, let's go. Let's do this. And then, you know, after a while, I'm going to, you know what, it's not a big deal. I'm going to do that again. It's fine. Anyone ever done that? I did it this week. <laughs> That's what we do. We're like, oh, we're to come out. And then we just, you know, that wasn't so bad. And let's, let's go back. That's just a minor thing. But the, that's what people come out of sin. And then after a while, it comes calling again. And then they go back. But if we've torn it down, Paul says, don't rebuild it. If you've torn it down, leave it torn down. And the danger um, is as we grow, it, the danger is to long for the past and the old stuff. And in the Jewish people's case in Galatia, this was the law. They were longing for the law and the way things used to be. And how everything was so structured. And everyone looked the same. And everyone sang the same. And everyone had the same whatever. Before these Gentiles came in and started mixing everything up. And they wanted to go back to that. And the law wasn't bad. The law was given by God, but God had moved them on from that. And it would have been wrong for them to go back to it. They'd been set free from the weight of the law. It would have been wrong to go back. God doesn't deliver us from something so we can go back to it. Alright. Verse 19. For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Paul says, I am dead to the law. And this um, this is our mind-blowing revelation for this evening. Um, are you ready? Dead people are not affected by anything around them. <sighs> right? <laughs> they don't see anything. They don't hear anything. They don't respond to anything. They have no cares. <laughs> they do not. They are completely unaffected by everything around them. So when Paul says, I am dead to the law, he means I am no longer affected by this. It has no power, no control, no hold over me. I am completely free of this. He says, I am dead to the law that, or so that what? I might live for God, unto God. Paul, Paul was a Pharisee. We know this. Paul was he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew the law as well or better than anyone else. He knew the effects of the law. He trained in it. He taught it. He'd done everything in the name of the law. He'd given his life to this law. But when he had an encounter with Jesus, everything changed. And he was willing to leave all that stuff behind and move on with Jesus. That's how important this is. He said, I'm dead to the law so that I might live for God. He realized that the only way he was ever going to be free to live for God, the way that God was calling him, the way God was leading him and using him to, the only way he was going to be able to ever do that was to be dead to the law completely, 
to leave all that behind. And that must, for Paul, that must have been a hard decision. He'd given years to this. And to leave that all behind, all this stuff I've studied and trained for, he said, I am dead to that now so that I can live for God. It was necessary. The law was, you know, it was still the word of God, right? It still is. But the way they were using it, the way they were treating it needed to change. You know, the whole um, beat someone over the head because they failed thing. The whole, oh, this woman was caught in adultery. Jesus, let's throw some rocks at her. No, that sort of thing. All of that needed to stop. The bloodshed, all of that. Just, if he was going to live for God, he needed to die to all that stuff and move on from it. He was reaching these Gentiles and they were never going to get circumcised. They weren't going to change their diet. They weren't going to change their fabrics. They weren't going to, I don't know, change their beard styles. You can't cut the corners of your beard. Did you know that in the law? So, I mean, some of these are Romans. They, they're clean shaven. That funny little Roman haircut you see. You know, that's not, that's not how it's supposed to be. But they're never going to look like Jews. And if Paul kept worrying about all that stuff, he would never get anywhere with reaching them. And missionaries, they don't say that from behind the pulpit, but this is sort of the sort of thing they deal with on a regular basis. And when they come to our churches, they don't say that. But there's things that we think are super important and modest, and other places they don't. I'm not going to go into details, but there are things I've seen in church that I would never see here. <laughs> but you don't hear those stories. And so we can get caught up in all that stuff. And then never... So this is Paul was saying, you know, I'm dead to that stuff. This is what I'm doing. I'm living for God. I'm reaching these Gentiles. and They're never going to get all that stuff. And that's okay. We've been set free from that anyway. He said, and I'm not saying that we need to ditch everything that we believe. Please don't misunderstand me. There are things that we do because we are saved. There are things that we do because Jesus convicts us of and there are choices we make. You know, if you want to shave, go ahead. No one's judging you because you shave, but don't judge anyone because they don't. If that's your conviction, go ahead. Fine. I'm not saying we need to just throw everything out. That's not what I'm saying. But when it all comes down to it, we are saved by Jesus. Amen. By faith in Jesus. Not by rules, convictions, dress, whatever. That's, that's stuff we do because we are saved. Not so we can be saved. And if we start forcing people, you have to do this in order to come to him, well then we are making a mess of it. And that's the, the difference. We do it maybe because we're saved, not so we can be saved. Paul didn't tell the Jews not to do their thing. He didn't say you don't have to. I mean, you can eat whatever you want. Now He didn't really go into that. He was telling them that you can't force these other people to do it. He was telling them that this law didn't save them. You want to keep following it? Go ahead. But this isn't what saves you. And the whole argument was about whether or not these Gentiles could be saved. And Paul was trying to hammer home the point that salvation comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. And whether that person ever gets it all together, like we may have it or not, that's between them and God. And it's not our job to come at them with the law and start beating them up because we ourselves 
falls short. Verse 20, it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is a verse you've probably heard, preached a few times. And he said, he, you know, he just said that he was dead to the law, and the law couldn't save, the law couldn't justify, the law couldn't make people righteous. But through Jesus, we are justified, right? Through Jesus, we can be made righteous. How? Well, there's a little bit of death involved here, too. It comes when we are crucified with Christ. Or when we die with him, not physically, obviously. But in order for us to be justified, in order for us to be set free um, or delivered, we need to die to the old way of living. Because again, dead men aren't affected by anything. If we don't want it to affect us anymore, we need to die to it. And if we go back to it and build it back up, then you need to be crucified with Christ again. And we're talking about repentance, of course, in case you didn't get it. Repentance. Every message, it seems, that I've preached since January has repentance in it. I don't know why. It just keeps coming up. But he uses crucified here to evoke an image of the cross to identify with Jesus. And if we are going to be saved, it's not going to be through a law. It's not going to be through a tradition. And there's nothing really wrong with either one of those. But if we are going to be saved, it's, it's only going to be through the cross and faith in Jesus. Don't ever underestimate the power of the cross. I, he says, I am crucified, but yet I live. This death to sin, this death to our old ways, our old life, it doesn't hinder me from living for God. But in order for us to live in Christ, in order for him to live in me, he says, I have to die to that sin. I have to repent. I have to turn from that. I have to come to him. I have to put my faith in him. What he said is true. And that he will set me free. That's what I have to do. I have to put my faith in him that he will forgive my sins, that he will fill me with his spirit, that he will justify me. And again, when we die to sin, when we tear it down, don't go back and build it back up. And again, again, when we die to sin, it shouldn't affect us. And if it does, well, then we need to go back to the cross again. This is a daily thing. Another place Paul writes, I die daily, meaning I, every day I do this. Every day I make a choice to lay down my life and let Jesus work and let Jesus lead and not let sin affect me. Every day I do this. This is a daily thing. Prayer is a daily thing and repentance should be a daily thing. Walking with Jesus is a daily process. He says, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith comes back here. Do you see that? Hasn't been there for a few verses, but she's back. Remember, we're justified by faith. I've, I've said it only 30 times so far. Good night. <laughs> we're justified by faith, and I've just been crucified with Christ. I have repented. I have laid down my life. I have died to sin, and now this life I have, I live how? By faith. In Jesus, who loved me and gave his life for me. We've come to Jesus. We've repented. We've made changes. But are we living by faith? This is my last, probably, point. So it's getting late. Hello. Are we living by faith, too? Does the word of God affect everything that I do? 
Does the fact that Jesus gave his life for me affect how I live my life? Is there a change? Am I living by faith? And if not, then there needs to be that. I need to be living by faith. I live by faith, but I guarantee that what Jesus said is true. By trusting his word. Our faith in Jesus should affect everything we do. The problem with this church in Galatia was that they were reverting back to their old ways. They were starting to lean on the law again and not faith in Jesus. Please, let's not get away from living by faith. And I know that we've maybe gotten a little bit comfortable with all of our stuff that we have. Our positions, our life, um, our food all of our toys and all the things, we've kind of maybe stopped living by faith like people of old that didn't have the groceries and you had to pray and someone showed up with groceries for the week. I'm reading a missionary's book and um, she tells a story. She was on the field and she ran out of money and she prayed, God, you want me here? You're going to have to feed me. She had 50 cents in an egg. She ate the egg. She used the 50 cents for something that day. Um, that was it. She had nothing. The missionary calls her, invites her over for supper. Oh, great. There's a, there's a meal. I think they might have gave her leftovers or something. Oh, here we go. She gets home back to her house. Um, the neighbor, never been invited to her house before or never since. Oh, I made tamales. Do you want some tamales? Here's some tamales. A whole bunch. Better for a few days. For breakfast, lunch, and supper. And then another day, somebody from one of the churches was like, Oh, we have a baker. We haven't had you over. Come over to our house for supper. And then here's a whole bag full of baked goods. Take them home. That fed her for a few more days. Someone would call her over and invite her for supper. And she had no money for the bus. And the missionary lived on the other side of town. He's like, I need you to come do some stuff at the house. I need you to help out. She's like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to get there. Goes, goes to get on the bus. Doesn't know how she's paying for the bus. She doesn't have the money. She's on the ground in front of the step to get on the bus. There's exact fare needed for the way there and back. Okay, I got it. Another day says, you got to come over. I need you to do some stuff. She goes, no money to pay for the bus. Some guy on the bus went to the church. He's like, oh, you let me this money before. I'm going to pay you back. Exact fare she needed to get there and back. She said it kind of became a game. Like, what are we going to eat today, God? What's going on? For three weeks this happened. And then she goes to the missionary's house. And he's like, oh yeah, someone sent you 300 bucks. I forgot about it. <laughs> was sitting there the whole time. <laughs> but for three weeks, she lived by faith. And she learned that. And it's a pretty awesome story. And I'm not saying that we need to be broke to live by faith, but there's, there's, a, there's something to it. And that's something that she's obviously never forgotten. And I won't forget it. I wasn't even there. Sometimes we're, you know, sometimes we're kind of pushed to live like that. Like we've run out of money. I really don't have any options. I have to live by faith. And all we have is God's word. And we have to have faith and believe that he will honor his word. You know, he says, don't worry about it. He'll take care of you. You know, the birds are fed. All that stuff. You know, Matthew. 
And I think in all of our abundance, we've kind of gotten away from that. We don't need healings. We've got medicine. We don't need provision there. We have outlets. You know, if we're hungry, we can go places and get food. And Paul said, I'm, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. And now I live by faith, yet I live. Now, this isn't the end. You know, to, I'm living by faith. And you may not need um, physical needs to be met every day. You may not ever worry about what you're going to eat for three weeks, you know. But we can still live by faith and let him lead us. Yes. You know, who are we going to reach today, Jesus? Who are we going to pray for today, Jesus? Who are we going to see healed today, Jesus? We can allow him to lead us by faith in other ways. Yes. Jesus said to his disciples, greater things than these will you do. And faith takes that and accepts it and says, all right, what are we going to do today? What's going to happen today? What's going to happen this week? Anyway, that's just something to think about. One more verse, and I'm done. I'm sorry, guys. My poor children. I've been here so long. Galatians 2, 21. It says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. The English standard again, it says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So Paul kind of just nails this whole thing home here at the end. It says, if righteousness comes through the law, if we are saved through the law, if we're justified through the law, then Jesus died in vain, and there's no, there's no reason for him to have died if that's, that's how we're doing this. He gave his life for me, and that's grace. That's how I can be justified, and that's how I can be made righteous through his sacrifice. And if we go anywhere else, then what was the point? I'm so thankful that Jesus gave himself for me. Amen. So thankful that I don't have the pressure of following 600 plus rules Amen. every day. And if I break one of them, I'm done. I'm so glad we don't have that. I'm so glad that I can repent and come to him. And I don't have to bring goats and pigeons and bulls to church. Can you imagine? I'm so glad that we don't have to do that. I'm so glad that he's paid the way for us. And I know this message may have been kind of scattered about. I just kind of went through it. But there are, there are a lot of points in there. And hopefully none of them were misunderstood. I hope it was kind of clear. But the main point is we are saved through Jesus. We put our faith in Jesus. We are justified, made righteous through faith in Jesus. Nothing else. We do other things, sure. But that is not what saves us. It's our faith. We put it in him. We live by faith when we die to our old life through repentance. And if we've gone back to our old ways, well, you need to die to that. God's delivered you from it. He's led you from it. Don't go back and build it back up. So the key to all this is repent again. <laughs> Get right daily. Live by faith. And let him lead. This is the longest I've been on a Wednesday in a while. Sun's still kind of up. Well, let's stand. I hope.